Hello and welcome to the first ever issue of Digital Content. My name is Alex Motter. I am the host of the show. Uh, just a little bit about myself. I work at a comic book store in Lima, Ohio called Alter Ego Comics. Um, this project is about interviewing fans, customers, uh, readers, most importantly, of comic books. Uh, I plan on talking to people about different projects that they, different hobbies that they do, uh, different things that they collect, uh, specific items and whatnot. This first issue is an interview with my boss, Mark Boker. He is the owner of Alterio Comics, and I sat down with him on a Monday morning. We talked for roughly around an hour about his collection, how he got started, and his opinions on the comic book industry. And yeah, so if you have, if you'd like to be on the show or anything, email me at alex at Um yeah, please rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you next issue. Enjoy the show. All right. All right, so I guess uh, first up... Uh, how long have you been into comics, collecting, business, all that good stuff? When did you become a fan of it? What got you in? Um, well, I, being a kid of the '80s, I grew up watching Super Friends and Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, and you know the '80s, in my humble opinion, are the best decade for everything: music, movie, TV shows, movies, TV shows. Uh, and I don't remember exactly how it happened, but uh, somehow I got my hands on the, the Marvel Secret Wars series when I was about 10. So this was like 82, 83. And it had all of these characters in it that I've been watching on TV and a bunch of people I didn't know anything about. Like, I didn't know who the X-Men were. I didn't know uh, who some of the Avengers were. And, you know, Secret Wars was a great introduction for someone who loved superheroes because it had all kinds of superheroes and all kinds of supervillains. Um, and from there, there was a kid in the neighborhood that was a big comic collector, and he's probably, I don't know, five years older, three to five years older than I was. Uh, and he had this massive collection, and he decided he was going to auction off his collection to the kids in the neighborhood <laughs> at one point. For good so, price. Yeah, yeah, and it was interesting. So that, you know, got me into it even more, and eventually I found a, uh, a comic shop, um, and just one thing led to another, and I was hook, line, and sinker into comics. So you actually started at a comic, you started buying at a comic shop, not like the grocery store? Or... No, no, I mean, uh, I don't think, actually I do remember being going to a 7-Eleven uh, and getting an issue of Captain America. Um, and that may have been how it started, uh, the spinner racks at 7-Eleven, right. and that led to uh, the first comic store, which was actually a hobby shop that had a small section for comics. And that was up in Michigan, right? Yeah, yeah that was in actually in Royal Oak. It was Ryder Hobbies. I think it was, it was called Alcove Hobbies before that, and then, uh, long story, but <laughs> um, the comic guys bought out the shop from the hobby guys, and it became Ryder Hobbies, and... They've since gone out of business, but you know. Th then I realized I started going to uh, little mini conventions uh, at Knights of Columbus halls in different areas, and it seems like, like once a quarter, 
there was a, a comic convention and these were you know dark smoke filled rooms <laughs> uh, not like the conventions <laughs> the, the that super we, sketchy places that, that we see now i mean not not super sketchy just like i mean, never understood people smoking in a room full of comics um <laughs> sounds like a fire hazard um but i would go to these things you know several times a year and and that was just huge i mean i'd save grass cutting money and paper route money and whatever i could to right. go to these little comic conventions and it wasn't to meet anybody like it is now it was to just buy comics there's just there's the collector's aspect of it not the whole media spectacle yeah was not, there, media would not have been <laughs> there they would not have had anything fun to uh to film there were no casual fans that went to that it was just not real i mean it, i brought some friends you know to try and get them into comics and it and they did because of it um, but I can remember buying Dark Knight Returns at a comic convention, um, the G.I. Joe silent issue. I think it was, uh, I don't remember the issue number, but issue might have been issue two. Issue two was a big one. Um, and then it became, you know, action figures and trying to find stuff that, um, you know, I was, I'm a huge Raiders of the Lost Ark fan and I was buying Kenner Raiders figures that, um, I should have bought when they first came out, but ended up buying them at shows. What other price that they're going for now? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I don't look at those things. It makes me too sad. Uh, did you have any family that cared about it, or was it? Were you the black sheep that was the only one that liked well, them? My, or? my family's pretty small, so it was just my mom, dad, my brother, and me. And my brother's five years younger, and he got into collecting Incredible Hulk, but I think he just wanted to do it because I was collecting right. comics. Um, because he doesn't do anything with comics now. <laughs> and my dad would read everything that I would buy, uh, especially when I set up a pull list at the comic shop. And, uh, you know, he would keep up with all the stories. Like, I, w- I would read them first and then give them to him, and he would read them. That's good that he had some interest in it then. Or... Oh, yeah. yeah. Does he care at all anymore? Or no. Is just... he's, uh, he's got enough to, you know... He's, he's supportive, but not... He's almost 80, and DVR is like 75 shows a month, so... That's <laughs> yeah, all he does is watch TV. It's easier that route. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you get into the selling of comics and collectibles? Well, what first, made you decide to pull the trigger on that? The first step was uh, back in probably 1994, 1995. I sold the bulk of my collection at one of those smaller shows uh, to pay for my wife's wedding ring. <laughs> so, um, good investment. Yeah, yeah, we're still married, so that's good. It wasn't a waste. Um, and that was okay, but uh, I was more into action figures and stuff at the time. And, you know, back in the, the mid-90s, it was tough to find a lot of the action figures that, that, were out, that were coming out. I mean, Toy Biz was doing a lot of the Marvel stuff. Marvel Legends had just started. Um, the Force Away, the Power of the Force, you know, the Star Wars reissues were, were coming out. And um, I, I got basically hooked by the um how oh, do i want to say this the rarity bug of action figures like i would the hunting after the yeah you know it lived growing up in metro detroit there were plenty of stores that i could go to i mean there were three or four toys r us that i could hit on you know a, a early morning before i went to work and uh meyer and you know stores had their own exclusives then they still do now but it was it was more of a special thing back then kind of like how pops are now of the yeah it's the rarity but still broadness of yeah it. so um i started selling some stuff on ebay and actually sold a batman figure i think it was catwoman to uh on ebay and the guy turned out to be within driving distance of where where i lived and 
he was like, well, just instead of shipping it, you want to just meet up at this mall and, you know, we'll do the deal there. <laughs> um, and that guy was uh, Michael Crawford, who runs um, MWCToys.com. He's probably one of the most respected action figure reviewers on the Internet. Um, and, you know, we still stay in touch with each, with each other. Uh, Alter Ego has sponsored his site since since, since Alter the beginning. Ego started. Yeah. So Michael invited me to kind of come hang out with this group of collectors, uh, and we would kind of look for things for each other. Everybody, there was kind of like this master want list uh, that was published someplace online, so that if you were out shopping and you saw whatever that so and so was looking for, you could pick it up and get it to them at, right. at you know your cost instead of having to pay scalper prices. Right. It was just a friends trading amongst yeah. themselves more or less. It actually became more of a formal thing. It became uh, Adam ATOM, the Action Toy Organization of Michigan. We would have monthly meetings at people's houses and check out their collection and uh, so it was kind of cool. Uh, you know, did that for a few years until I moved out of the state in uh, 2000 and moved to Lima. Okay. Um, so that's the, how you started in that part. How did you actually start Alter Ego Comics then? What decided, when, was it just when you moved to Lime, like, all right, I want to start this, or was it? Uh, no, I had no intention of uh, doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I was working as the director of communications for the local chamber of commerce, um, working with a lot of small businesses, which was a big plus and definitely had an influence on me starting my own business. Um, there was a comic store in town, and... I, I went to the owner at one point. This was when free com might have been the first free comic book day, and ever. Uh, first ever. Yeah, it was uh, sixteen years ago. Uh, I think. Sixteen or seven. This is seventeenth year, isn't it? It's, it's I think sixteen. I don't know. Over fifteen years ago. Yes. <laughs> so I went to the owner and I said, uh, you know, I, my goal is to get more people reading comics. Um, can I help you do some marketing for this? You know, I do marketing for the chamber. I work with other small businesses, and. He was, and I wasn't looking for anything out of it. I wasn't looking for payment or anything. You just, just wanted, wanted to, to expand the collection. Of everybody well, get, more everybody people, get more people reading comics. Help the industry that you weren't a part of, just as a fan. Yeah, yeah. And um, he wanted to, but he didn't want to spend any money. Uh, not for me, but to do any, any paid marketing. So I had some media connections, and I got uh, a spot for him on the local morning show to go on and talk about Free Comic Book Day. But he didn't go himself. He sent his his underlings <laughs> that were not <laughs> that were barely paid staff, um, and and they did a good job. But it was it's kind of you have to think about as someone who's and this is going to sound horrible, but somebody who is is in the business of comics and someone who is a fanboy or fangirl. Right. And these guys were fanboys, and they're they're still out there, and I love them both. But they went on on the news, and it became like a, a nerd discussion of these different characters, and not a marketing effort to try and bring people into that guy's shop on Free Comic Book Day. It was a, oh, it's these guys that collect them. It's not an actual serious like, hey, you should check this out because they didn't approach it from a marketing standpoint. They approached it from a fanboy standpoint. Okay, and you know that was my first kind of letdown with that experience. And I realized that if I wanted to get more people reading comics, I was probably going to have to open my own store okay. and uh, and do that myself um, with the business background that I had and the, the local connections within the business community. So I guess, how did that process start? Would, would you just decide, all right, I'm going to rent a space, I'm going to go from there? Or? Well, the website started first. 
Um, so I didn't have to do anything except have a computer with an internet connection and uh, some basic HTML skills. I mean, I built the first Alter Ego Comics website back in 2003. And uh, my intention was to sell comics and collectibles, right. uh, movie and TV, comic book related collectibles. And it became clear pretty quickly that the comic side of it was going to take up a lot of time for very little profit. And there was already competition online um, for, for selling comics. And most people were selling it at a, selling them at a significant discount, which didn't make a lot of sense to me from a business owner standpoint. Right. So I put the kibosh on the comics and focused strictly on the figures and statues. Uh, and this was, I want to say, the early days of Sideshow. Um, not super early, but you know, they were doing Lord of the Rings statues that people were going crazy over. Um, Hot Toys wasn't even a thing yet, or it was barely a thing. Right. So, um, Sideshow and Gentle Giant. Gentle Giant was big back then. And uh, who else? Palisades, which isn't around anymore. I mean, there were other companies that... Basically, I built the site, put stuff up, and I already had kind of an in with the action figure guys that I hung out with in Michigan and let them know, hey, you can buy from me now if you want to. And then uh, I was part of some different message boards and forums, and I didn't do a hard sell in there. I just had you know, my website in my signature line, and occasionally I would make a comment that you know, it was available through, through me. Right. And you know, thankfully, a lot of those people are still customers almost 15 years later. <laughs> um, so that was that was the uh, the website stuff, the high end stuff, and then in between again, I kind of got frustrated with the local comic shop options and decided, you know what, I should just pull the trigger on this. And and I'd been doing the website for about eighteen months at the time, and it was already turning a profit. Um, I went down to half time at my job at the chamber to spend more time working on on the site and developing the store, and then I realized I could give it a go and not lose too much money right. right at the time I had two small children and didn't want to you know take too much of a risk but right. I guess starting any business is a risk uh, but thankfully it all worked out you know within six months the other shop closed and that ne that wasn't necessarily my intention because I think that we did things very differently uh, was a different audience that you're trying to target or? well it wasn't a different audience I mean I was still shooting for comic book readers but I was running it more like a traditional retail store and less of a clubhouse. Um, Not the poorly dim lit and uh -huh. the stacks of everything versus actually organized and looks professional. Not a garage sale or... Yeah, I mean, the comic connection wasn't horrible by any stretch of the imagination, but it definitely was, you know, was a, a boys club, clubhouse type of atmosphere. And I was looking at, uh, at everybody, you know, especially moms and dads whose kids were watching... Uh, you know, Teen Titans Go and, and kids well, Teen Titans, regular Teen Titans then. Teen oh, Titans Go. Yeah, sorry, it was the regular yeah. set with the annoying theme song. <laughs> right, well, but it was an annoying theme song, but it was a better show. Yes. I think the new show is far more annoying. And, and that's, I think, always what we need to keep our eye on as as uh, an industry is, you know, we, we don't want to forget about the existing customers, and that's those are our number one goal, our number one audience, but there's a huge untapped audience out there that are going to see Marvel movies and DC movies right. and playing Injustice video games and when you see watching the, cartoons and, and that are based on comics and they've never read a comic book right. before. When you see it, it makes billions of dollars, how is the, how are we not making 
not necessarily the same, but how is it not a bigger industry? Yeah, everyone that's... always assumes that when a new movie comes out that's based on a comic book that, you know, the cash register is overflowing with money, and that's not that's not the, the case by any stretch of the imagination. Which I find that funny, because they're like, oh, you must be doing really well since that's coming out. Then the same person that says that doesn't buy anything that it's related to. It's like, well, stuff like that. You, I mean, yeah. you, you say, oh, you must be doing that, so I don't need to buy it. But if no one buys it, then it doesn't really affect it. Yeah, um, so that that's always what we're looking at. Uh, you know, obvi- obviously we're focused on our existing customer base, but if we only focus on existing customers as an industry, the industry won't be around. You know, right. five ten years from now. And so we have to look beyond that and try and bring. And that's up to everybody. That's up to you know readers to bring in friends with them or relatives. Uh, it's up for up to business owners to do outreach, uh, whether it's things like free comic book day or. Uh, donating comics to schools or other things. And then it's up to the publishers, I think, to do a lot more than what they're doing. And right now, there's a lot of focus on that. Marvel is taking some steps with their their new chatbot that they announced a couple weeks or recently. I didn't see what that was. Yeah, it's basically... I'm not an expert on chatbots by any stretch of the imagination, but you can chat with Spider-Man. Like, you, you sign oh, up for the okay. service, and you send a text or whatever, and then Spider-Man's responding back, and he's in the middle of Secret Empire. Gotcha. Um, but then, based on your, your location, based on the GPS and the phone, it'll show where the lo- where your closest comic shop is. That's so cool. it's trying to drop, drive people into the shops. Um you know, Marvel is going back to the digital codes with the with comics, so that. But they're digital to, or they. I know right now they're doing digital towards other comics. Are they right, doing they that also? Doing, or? No, they they're going to reverse the decision and go back to you get a digital copy of the comic you're buying, but you're also going to get another free bonus. That's comic. a good thing. Uh, and DC has started doing that with their 3.99 books about getting a digital copy. Right. Uh, they're supposed to be advertising in front of uh, some some movies this summer. Uh, Marvel's going to be on Good Morning America the day before Free Comic Book Day, plugging Free Comic Book Day as well as Guardians of the Galaxy. So the publishers, I think, are finally starting to to realize that you can't rely on independently owned and operated right. comic shops to spread the word about comics. It's got to come from the top down, much the, the same way that the auto industry works. I mean, you look at any of the, the car dealerships in this country that are authorized to sell Ford or Honda or whatever, and they get money infused into their businesses from those car corporations to advertise their cars. Right. Um, so it would be great to see that happen a little more with comic shops. Well, I think the big thing with that is the Marvel and DC, they would always try one thing. Now they're starting to branch out to like, all right, instead of just trying one project, we'll just do a shotgun attack of the, like you said, the Good Morning America thing and the free, the free books of why do just one book? You can do one and the new one, too, because it shares more. Yeah. But... Yeah, I think it's doing better now, hopefully. They'll, they'll well, learn. See, yeah, we're just getting into it, but I'm optimistic, much more optimistic than I was at this time last year. Um, you know, DC had announced Rebirth, and we were all kind of skeptical about that, but it turned out to be a big hit. It's, it's well, just, yeah. Uh, Secret Empire is issue zero is out. Everybody loved it here. Uh, we've got the button storyline over at DC, that which is doing well, so. And hopefully the, the announcement of less big Marvel events... From the Marvel standpoint, hopefully that'll help. I know people are saying they have event fatigue, but then I imagine they'll miss it, and then that's when they'll bring it back. Yeah, hopefully, it's, all, it's always all about the stories. You know, if the stories are good, whether it's an event story, whether it's it's contained to a certain title or a certain character, as long as the stories are good, people are gonna are gonna buy and they're gonna come back. Myself right. included. You know, I I read, you read comics every week. You know, as a staff, we read a bunch of comics every week. 
and twenty books a week. <laughs> it's all. It's I mean, between the three of us, we probably read you know 50, 50, 50 plus titles. A week. Josh reads the most. Obviously, Josh reads of course. the most. Yes. Um, and you know, for us, it's about story too. And that's you know, we're honest and we do the alter ego comics TV episodes and we talk about things that we like. We don't talk about things that we don't like. We don't bash them. But we're going to recommend things that we like more right. than things that we don't like. It's easier to sell, or not, it's not really selling, just to get excited about good things yeah. than to not. And hopefully well, this will help also with people talking about their favorites and go from there and everything else. Um, so I got that. Uh, who is your favorite comic book character and why? Hmm, I'm going to go with Wolverine still. Wolverine's always been my favorite. Not Daredevil. Um, no, I still like Daredevil, too. Uh, and, I mean, that's a, like, which is my favorite children? Which is my favorite <laughs> child? Um, they know who they are. Wolverine, I, you know, I, I really liked the the kind of outsider character he was. The loner. Yeah, the loner in the beginning. Uh, you know, they had, he had his berserker rage, but he also was fiercely loyal to his friends. Um, I think I liked Wolverine better before we knew his backstory or all of his backstory. Well, there's a mystique behind it, right? Well, not the character mystique. Well, right, but, but a, but, mis- well, a mystique, not yes, the mystique. Yes. Um, and how the character has kind of grown up over the years, the same way that Peter Parker has to some degree, the same way all the characters have. Um, you know, Wolverine when when the schism storyline was going on in X Men and Cyclops went his way with with. You know, certain X Men right. and Wolverine went his way and started the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. Wolverine then became the the teacher and right. the headmaster, and he had to take on a, a different role. And um, which now, I, I think that was one of the best X Men stories, especially in a long time. Uh, the yeah. whole, you know, no more mutants. That was with the House of M. That was good, and the whole Unity Island or whatever that, on Asteroid M. But the actual conflict of all right, we're gonna, we have two directions we can take the mutant race. Which way do we go? And they just did both. And I, I think that was really important for the characters. Oh, absolutely. It showed the evolution of Cyclops, you know, and Wolverine became almost like Cyclops was 20 years earlier. Right. Um, and now that, that the present day, our version of Wolverine is dead, we've got Old Man Logan, who, uh, again, I think is, is, a very, is a fascinating character um, because of all that he's gone through. I mean, he has all of... You know our Wolverine's experiences and memories, but then excluding he's got the, the addition, yeah, he's got the addition of the horrific experiences that he had, you know, in the wasteland, um, and now he's, you know, he's in our universe as the current Wolverine. He's getting a second chance, really, at yeah. everything. Yeah. So yes, Wolverine is is my favorite, but and I I tend to skew towards Marvel. You know, I'm I'm a Marvel guy because of starting with Secret Wars. Uh, I, I then collected Spider-Man, uh, which was probably because of seeing him on Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends and the 1970s live-action movies, which are pretty painful to watch now. But the uh, Amazing Friends TV show wasn't terrible. No, it wasn't, wasn't that bad. I mean, the, I, like the, I like the 90s show better, I thought. And was... I was in college in the 90s, so I, didn't, I wasn't watching it as much. Uh, and actually, I was watching more Batman the animated, animated series at that point than Spider-Man. <laughs> which is still phenomenal. Oh, yeah. The best animated Anything I think of within the comic book world, um, best movie, TV show, Mask of the Phantasm was mm. the best animated movie I think. Very to under, date. very underrated. Yeah, I saw that in the theater. It, it was top notch. You and five other people. Yes, yes. 
Um, so yes, that's the answer. Wolverine, but I like lots of other characters. I like characters, you know, when they're when they're done well. I mean, when Batman is done well, like he's be, like he has been for the last six seven years, um, it's easy to be a Batman fan. Um, Superman right now is being done incredibly well, and I can identify more with this version of Superman as a parent. Uh, and as a husband, then the new Fifty Two version right. of Superman, which I could not identify with at all, because people really didn't he care was, about. He was just a guy with superpowers, and that was about it. I know, mm-hmm. like I don't care about Superman at all, and I tried reading the new Fifty Two. I was like, oh, it's okay, and I'm done. Versus, yeah, this one. I like the whole dynamic with him and his son, yeah. and Super Sons especially. That book has been really good. I've enjoyed that. Um. Well, back to the, when you were in college, you said you weren't watching the TV shows. Were you still reading books then? Or? I was, actually. Um, I went to college in Cincinnati and uh, found a comic shop that was relatively close by, and it was right across the street from a used record store. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it was always dangerous to go uh, go down that street. Yeah, <laughs> if you got one, you went both. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, I would go trade in my CDs to the record store to get money so I could buy comics <laughs> across the street. Um, so I stayed plugged into what was going on. I very clearly remember uh, borrowing someone's car because I didn't have a car until I was a junior uh, in college down there to go buy the Jim Lee X-Men trading cards uh, at KB Toys. That was you know, something I had to do. And right. I did it on like a Friday night. And here I am like a freshman <laughs> in college. Got to go get those uh, X-Men Jim Lee trading cards. What a nerd. Um, <laughs> well, did you ever have that bashful nerd stage? I know a lot of people go through the, i got to keep it secret, yes, I'm still reading it, and now now it's cool to read comics again. Yeah, but and for, even, even in college, and this was 91, um, it was relatively accepted, and I found the right group of people uh, in college for that. When I was in high school, I didn't want anybody to know. Like, at my school, I didn't want people to know that I read comics. So what were you as the high school student? Were you the jock, the nerd? The... I, I was one that could could cross the, the boundaries into all you were a floater. areas. I was a floater. Because <laughs> I, was, I, was, I played soccer, but I was also in the band. And, uh, you know, I had friends that were athletes. I had friends that were, uh, you know, band geeks. Um, friends that were... This is going to sound horrible, but, you know, stoners and loners, and I, I, I guess I was kind of like Ferris Bueller. You know, <laughs> You're I'm, cool amongst all of them. <laughs> I, I may be over-inflating my, uh, my presence and my ego, but, uh, but yeah, never... but even, like, my best friend didn't know that I collected comics until we were, like, juniors or seniors. He was over at the house or something, and I, he saw a comic box, and he was like, what's this? I'm like, He's like, well, you collect comics? And he, he wasn't mean about it. Right. It was it's just something that I didn't advertise. It's something that was just a surprise to him. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I don't know if people who are in their 20s and 30s now really understand that comics were like an underground thing. Even like the mainstream comics, it wasn't something that that people talked about. And really the first time that they did was the 1989 Batman movie, the Michael Keaton, Tim Burton one, right. when it was front and center you know, Batman stuff was selling like crazy and people were going to comic shops and that had to have been the heyday for comic store owners, kind of that 89 to 91 period where right. you had the death of Superman you had Bane breaking Batman's back you had the Batman movie and then all kinds of superhero movies and then all the variant covers and yeah, you that, had, that uh, burst yeah, I, I mean the industry almost imploded I mean most people are aware of this in the in like 92, 93 you know, Marvel filed for bankruptcy, and 
like whenever it was 96 97 and that's when they were making deals to give Sony Spider-Man rights and give 20th Century Fox, Fox. X-Men and X-Men Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider. And Fantastic Four yeah Blade was over at Sony I think or another company uh, the Punisher. Basically, Marvel was getting rid of everything. Filing cabinets, chairs. <laughs> I mean, re- really, there's a great book out uh, that I wish I had the name of in front of me here, but um, oh, it's driving me nuts. There, there's a book that is about, basically, um, Marvel during that time, and it's a fascinating read for people that are, are comic fans. And the fact that they're still around today is amazing. Still around and I mean, Disney, oh, yeah. they, Disney they, helped. But they made they a bunch of great decisions. You know, bringing Joe Quesada in as editor-in-chief was probably one of the best decisions that could have been made. Um, you know, he brought in some of his indie friends to take on. That's where we got Brian Michael Bendis doing Daredevil, and Kevin Smith came over to do Daredevil, and uh, David Mack, and Jimmy Palmiotti, and, and all these guys really doing some great work. Mark Miller was over there doing uh, Marvel Knight Spider-Man in the Ultimate Universe. Um that period of like 98 to 2002 uh, or maybe 99 to 2002 there was a lot of creativity going on over at Marvel well that was around the beginning of the one universe where everything starts to have a timeline too at least to me it seemed like that was when they really started to line line things out yeah they started having their creative their creator summits and and playing out and they did that before too but most of the events in the 80s at Marvel were X-Men events Right. Uh, because the X-Men were the bread and butter of Marvel Comics at the time. And then, you know, they were planning, and that's how we got, uh, you know, House of M and Civil War and Secret Invasion and everything that came afterwards. The, All the high points now that we can point to and go, okay, this was the summer event. Um, the beginning of event fatigue. <laughs> so, the beginning of events. Which, the beginning I, I, of which, event fatigue. which I hate that phrase of, oh, I'm so tired of all these events. But you still read them, and they're still good. Yeah. Kind of to get back to the question, which I've lost sight of completely, is, you know, it's, it's, you're not considered a nerd for, or or you are, but nerd isn't a a bad word. It's a good word. Nerd isn't a four-letter word, and neither is geek. And, you know, when you look at things like the San Diego Comic-Con, and New York Comic-Con, and basically all these Comic-Cons across the country that are selling out, and you're getting people of all walks of life going... Uh, I think it's great, and that's the great thing about comics and sci-fi and, and anything where it's kind of a, a, a niche thing is seeing the the diversity within that, that you know, you know, comics used to just be a bunch of guys reading comics, and now right. you've got every ethnicity, every sexual orientation, all people from all walks of life that are enjoying comics, and that's the way it should be. Well, and that's what helps, I think, why they're changing everything to be more, to make the books more inclusive also. Yeah. Um, having uh, the newest Marvel, Kamala Khan, uh, is a, I love, that's a great story, and just how, I will, my only complaint with that is using the existing name that she attached to. I would have liked it better if they had their own name. But I can see why they did that. Like, oh, we'll get a little bit of weight to it. And then she's really made it her own character, too, instead of the whole Carol Danvers. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a lot of negative publicity about some of the younger characters and the, the legacy characters. But really, with very few exceptions, they're all extremely well done. Right. You know, the, the writing, the artwork, uh, their logical stories. It's kind of like the, everybody was all bent out of shape when Brubaker was going to bring Bucky back in Captain America and Winter Soldier. 
and then once everybody got a chance to read the story, they're like, oh, this is great. It makes, it's perfect. It, it makes, makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. And there are things like that. But I'm with you. I, I think that some of these other characters should be using different names. Right. Uh, you know, who knows? There's the, the Legacy series or Generations or whatever Marvel's doing in the fall, which is supposedly going to write the ship over there. Um, I would like to see some different code names for these characters to set them right. apart from... Uh, you know their their previous versions. I was hoping with Civil War two they would have lived on that. With like, oh, especially with how Champion spun out of that. Like I think that's a great series, and more people should be reading it just because it's a nice younger demographic. It's brand new. I mean, it's an older name, but I like the modern take of those heroes. It's a modern Avengers, more or less. Like oh, we saw what they did. We don't like them, or we don't like what exactly what they're doing. We can do it better in a different way. And I think that has been a very good book. That hopefully they don't. Do the Avengers route and make champion the mighty champions the no. new champions. Yeah. And, well, and honestly, I don't know how the champ how champions is selling. I know how it sells for us at Alter Ego, but you know it's not a top seller. I mean, right now Marvel doesn't have a lot of books that sell significant numbers, um, so I wouldn't expect to see any you know, right. all new <laughs> champions, mighty champions. But and that's the thing. I mean, the the more that publishers talk to retailers and get feedback. Uh, because we're on the front lines. I mean, we're talking to customers every day about what they like, what they don't like. Um, I would love to see DC and Marvel cut their output by 50%. You know, I've right. been saying it for years that if they cut their output, sales would probably go up. Go because down to one X-Men book instead people, of five. People could read more of, of the universe and they wouldn't feel like, okay, you know, if, I, if I'm going to... And we've had people say this in the shop. You know, I'm not going to I'm not gonna buy that because then I'm going to have to buy this, 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 and this. Right. Um, you know, make it more manageable for people to follow as many characters as possible, and you'll sell more of that smaller number of books. It's just crazy. Well, I think in, keep the keep the books at three ninety nine or two ninety nine, three ninety nine at that rate, but have less of them. Like you said, um, I would, I know as a collector, I would be willing to pay more for a book if there's less quantity of variety of books. Right. right. Um, I mean, that's just the Marvel and DC side. I I'm more Marvel guy also. But I really like the stuff that's going on in Image. And I'll, I mean, I like the, most of the independent stuff, but Image is my favorite of those publishers. Um, Brian K. Vaughn at Saga is just phenomenal. And yeah. <laughs> Paper Girls, also very well written. Anything written by Brian K. Vaughn. Yeah, I mean, there's that. I mean, even the Oni Press with Letter 44 with Charles Soule, which yeah. I've been told that it's coming to an end soon, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Well, he can't. He's, he's writing a million other things. He's so. he's at mainstream now. <laughs> yeah, and he'll have he's got you know curse words over at Image, and he'll have other creator right. books coming out. And, that's the other one. Yeah, you know, that's the that's what I hope existing comic fans will will do, and new fans too. You you get into comics for one reason or another, and it's usually because of Marvel or DC. Let's be honest. Right. That's those um, are the ones that get. All but then the follow those creators to their creator on work. I mean, if you like. Um, you know Charles Soule on Poe Dameron then maybe read one of his other creator owned books right. read Letter 44 which actually helps them better financially because right. they get a lot more for an independent book than through Marvel right. and DC right. and they have complete control over it so you know you know that Charles Soule isn't going to kill Poe in right. the Star Wars book because he's in the next movie or BB-8 uh, or... <laughs> yeah but anything can happen in these creator owned books yeah but well, let's, let's get back on track uh, <laughs> um so what is what are some of your hobbies outside of collecting? Like, what do you do? Woodworking? No, that's not. <laughs> um, I have no hobbies outside of this. Uh, being a parent? I, yes, being a parent to three children, going to their athletic events and extracurricular activities. Um, 
you know, comics, you know, I still, you know, I, I still buy comics. I still read comics every week. Um, I guess I, I'm, I've gotten into vinyl thanks to my team here. <laughs> they got me a, a turntable a couple of years ago, and I've upgraded that since to uh, something that's a little nicer. But, uh, you know, I'm now buying records. Uh, I'm a big uh, soundtrack collector. Um, very emotionally attached to the music of John Williams and um, basically composers from the 80s and now somebody like uh, Michael Giancino who did the Star Trek movies and did Rogue One and Doctor Strange I'm kind of a kind of a nerd when it comes to that <laughs> I can hear something or hear a style of, of a movie score and know who the composer is just by which that goes back to back in college how the record store is right across the street from the comic book store yeah I remember uh <laughs> I don't know why I bought this, man. What a nerd again! <laughs> I, you know, I got uh, TV's greatest hits on CD, and it was basically three CDs of TV theme songs. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> hey, there's some really, there are some really catchy theme songs. I would just put it on and listen to it. So, you know, I have all I, I, I can identify theme songs to shows I never watched because of listening to just because TV's of that. greatest hits. Um, movies, TV shows. I mean, any pop culture stuff. That's that's kind of my wheelhouse. I'm not an outdoorsy guy. I don't like camping. I don't like, you know. Right. I, I, I like sports because of my kids. My kids got me into the sports. I mean, outside of playing soccer and baseball when I was a kid. But um, I, I have come to appreciate watching a football game with my kids. And Well, and that's probably partially because it's with your kids also. Yeah. Not, not just necessarily, like, it's something that's there while you guys are there, too. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I guess hobby-wise it would be music movies and comics what is your most prized thing that you have collected or like of your comic books like what's the best issue or best vinyl you have or what is the thing that you'd like this is the best I don't know um, for me it's not about the monetary value of something right it's about how I connected with that story or that song or that movie score uh, you know, where I was at that point in time in my life. And, you know, I, one of my favorite comic book stories is an issue of Fantastic Four. I say it was like oh, 286, maybe. I think it was in the 280s. And uh, basically, the cover is it was, I think it was a Secret Wars 2 tie in. Um, but there's a kid who's, you know, kind of bullied at school, and he's probably middle school or bullied at school and picked on. And he idolizes the Human Torch, and for one reason or another, he decides he wants to be like the Human Torch, and he douses himself in gasoline and sets himself on fire. Not a smart move. Not a smart move. Don't no try kids, this at home. Don't try this at home. Ends up in the hospital, and somehow they get a hold of Johnny Storm, and he goes to visit the kid in the hospital, and the kid ends up, ends up dying, and that makes the Human Torch question, you know, how can I be this role model when my power is to burn right. you know, when I do this uh, and it's just an issue that really resonated with me I think I have bought it from collections like 10 times over the years <laughs> if you see it's it, not you're gonna, worth anything if you see worth, it you're going to buy it yeah it's worth like a three dollars in mint condition <laughs> um, but that's you know one of my favorite stories that's one of my favorite comics there's you know the, the other one that was from that time period is the kid that collected Spider-Man right um, you know I, I got my copy graded or I bought a graded copy in addition to having a, an ungraded copy, just because, it, to me, it's valuable. To me, it's, and that's, 
my graded stuff is like worth nothing. I have right. Raiders Lost Ark number one. I have the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones number one. You know, like a nine point six or a nine point eight. I don't expect them to ever have any monetary value at all. Um, but to me, it's more of a you know these are these are my prize right. possessions in my collection. Well, I think that's the heart of any collector. That's what this should be the goal of you know. Yes, I want the whole run, but this is the most cherished, not necessarily valuable, but most appreciated. Yeah, it, and to me, if you're really a fan, and this may offend some people, or they may not be down with it is you know you're not buying because of what the resale value is going to be you're not a speculator yeah well and yeah there's there's a difference there's a speculator there's speculators and there are fans and i think there's some gray area in between where absolutely if you're there's in a, some if you're in a pinch financially that you can sell something um you know if you're if you really need the money and it's usually a very difficult decision for people to make right but you know we have a lot of people that you know they're buying variant covers probably because they think they're going to be worth something down the road. Um, no, there are definitely people that get it just because it looks, they like the yeah. look of it. It if looks you cooler. like the artist or... that does the cover, that's great. But I think the industry is much stronger, both industries, the collectibles industry and the comic book industry, when people are buying things that they like uh, and you're displaying your figures and statues right. and you're, you know, you're reading your comics and then sure, bag, board it, put it in a box. I mean, take care of it. Right. Um, that's what I do. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, because I will either give them to my children somewhere down the road, or again, if I'm in a pinch and I need to sell off some things, then you know I can make that choice. But to me, it's more about what what a piece means to me, what a comic means to me. Well, it's like when someone comes in, hey, what is the most valuable thing I could buy that I could that, you, that they know you mean, or you know that they mean that they'll sell later? Yeah. So that's not the way we operate. We don't say, oh, this will be worth the most. It's like no, you buy to what you like and then read it and enjoy it. If it's worth something, great. If not, as long as you enjoy it, you got your money's worth. There you go. And that's I think that's the best way of collecting is. Not to do it just like, oh, I have so much money invested and here's everything. Like, no, what do you actually care about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people buy one of everything of a certain line, a certain title. And I always tell people if you like, I'm a Wolverine fan, but there are, there have been times when I stopped buying Wolverine right. because the stories weren't any good. I'm a Deadpool fan. I haven't bought Deadpool in a while because I don't like the direction that they went. And, yeah. and once it's admittedly, once it, you, once you get out, it's hard to get back into that story too, but you have to pay attention to who the creative team is and. Yeah. And pay attention to that. Um, who's your favorite writer and or artist? Hmm. If they're the same, who's your favorite of the same? Who's your favorite independently? I think right now I would have to go... Or yeah, let's yeah, let's narrow it down to who's your favorite current writer. Yeah. It's a toss-up between... Well, I've <laughs> <laughs> so Your favorite child again. I cannot pick one. I will name four. Um... Jason Aaron, Brian Michael Bendis, Brian K. Vaughn, and Mark Miller. Uh, I think that they consistently have been writing great stuff. I mean, Jason Aaron's Thor work is outstanding. I think it will stand the test of time next to Walt Simonson's stuff and even the Stanley Jack Kirby stuff. Uh, and then what he's doing with Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars is 30 issues in, and there has not been a bad issue right. of Star Wars. I mean, how I- do you... How do you write new stuff that is still interesting to Star Wars fans and four while, years later? And while it's still considered to be canon, too. Yeah, yeah. Which, that's a really a tight road you have to walk on. And I really enjoy the diary of old Ben Kenobi. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the whole flashbacks with Yoda and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, 
that has just been great. You know, Bendis, I think, is the master of dialogue. You know, nobody writes characters talking to each other as well as Brian Michael Bendis does. Um, I think some of his modern stuff has gotten a little bit weaker, but it's still still up there. I mean, it's, it's, his it's, his worst stuff is still better than a lot of good people. His, a lot of his creator good stuff. on stuff, I just don't get though. Like, I haven't been able to connect with Powers or uh, you know some of the stuff he did before he hit it big. Um, one of them is being turned into a movie. Um, oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I think I remember seeing about, about it by Elliot Dylan. Ness investigating a murder. I think it's in Cleveland. Um, it'll come back to me when we stop recording. <laughs> Uh, so, but I still think, you know, like, Miles Morales is one of the greatest characters of the last 10 to 15 years, right. and that series has not missed a beat. I'm know? excited for Spider-Man 2. Yeah, the, me too. To, like fi- to find out what's going on with Miles. The Spider-Man series was great. Um, who else did I say? Mark, well, Brian K. Bond, like you said, uh, I mean, from Why the Last Man to Ex Machina to Runaways to Pride of Baghdad to current stuff like Saga and Paper Girls, uh, he's another one that just totally has... The gift of writing characters t- that you will care about. Now, how well do you think you would do at Marvel or DC? He's done stuff at Marvel and DC. You know, we've got a Batman volume that came out a couple weeks ago. It's Batman by Brian K. Vaughn. Um, but that was an older one, though, wasn't it? Yeah, he wrote a uh, Wolverine story not too long. Well, I say not too long ago, but within the last five to ten years. Um, he's better, I think, when he's playing with his own characters. And, and that, I think that's, so too. Um, and then Mark Miller, I think some people. Love him or hate him. Love him or hate him, but he's written some great, great company-owned stuff. I mean, Civil War um, and uh, Old Man Logan. Uh, just phenomenal. Those were both the original Old Man Logan. Yeah, yeah, the original Old Man. The Logan. old, the new stuff is good too. Just... No, the new, the new series by Jeff Lemire is very good too. But you know, you wouldn't have it without right. the Mark Miller series that it... was done. He also had kind of misses. I mean, Marvel nineteen eighty five. I really enjoyed, but it was very inside comics like you had to be like I, I, someone who read comics in 1985 to really enjoy the series which is why I enjoyed it right and then his creator on stuff it seems like he just has like drawers full of ideas <laughs> uh, I think Reborn is a great series I mean um, Empress was really good uh, Kingsman obviously was good not as much a fan of Kick-Ass and uh, some of the other stuff Chrononauts I really liked and the fact that right. they're making that into a movie oh they are yeah. I didn't know that yeah that yeah, because that was just what five issues, six issues. Yeah, he's writing was... five or six issue stories with you know the best artists in the business and doing a great job. You know, which oh, Huck I think is another yeah. really underrated story that he did. In the and last hopefully they do more that because it says volume one, so yeah. I'm assuming that there'll be more Huck later. Um, but artist wise, um, you know, there are very few people where I will pick up a book just because somebody did the art. Um, Lee Weeks is one of those guys. Uh, I'm excited that he's doing uh, some of the work in the DC uh, Warner Brothers crossovers. I think he's doing the Batman Elmer Fudd story, but I could be wrong. Uh, his work on Daredevil has been excellent. His work on Superman has been great. Um, What's your favorite book of his, or novel, say? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, there was a... I wish I could remember the name of it. There was a Daredevil miniseries about four or five years ago that he did. I think he wrote it and he drew it, and I'm drawing a blank on what it was called. Maybe, I don't want to say Last Rites. It wasn't Last Rites. But that's basically anything he does. I mean, it's it's very traditional and clean. Um, just really good stuff. I mean, I for me, I, I say it's always about the story, but like Josh and I 
Josh is really about words, and I'm about right. pictures, and that's why when we're doing the show, I think we balance each but other. But the picture is part of the story, too. Oh, absolutely. A, a comic needs to be equal parts images and words. Otherwise, it's not a comic. So you really have to um, you have to find good pairings of, of creators to do that, because there are some things where it could be, you know, Bendis could write something and get someone to do the art that I absolutely hate, and right. I won't be able to read it. Like, I just, I won't be able to get past the fact that the art is not something that appeals to me. But art is so subjective. That's right. that's the beauty of it, too, is that you can have people that are really non-traditional artists that have a big following. Um, so, and that's the beauty of comics. Well, and sometimes it, you realize, like, oh, I don't like the art, but then once you write it, like, oh, that art fits yeah. well. Like, for me, the uh, Hawkeye. Um, or as Josh says, Hawkeye. <laughs> uh, that run, I at first I was like, oh, I hate this art, but then once I got midway through the series, like, oh, it, it couldn't be any other way. It fits perfectly with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, which so that the fraction, David Aha. David Aha, that's who yeah. it was. So yeah, that was for me. That was one of those like the art eventually sold it on me. Like at first, like eh, I don't know, but the story was good, and went from there. Um. One last question, because we're getting close to an hour here. Um, I'll go with, what superpower would you want? <laughs> For a thousand, Alex. Superpower. <laughs> oh, if you could have teleportation. I hate long drives. Um, I hate. <laughs> I don't hate flying, but the whole ordeal of get to the airport two hours early, get on the plane, maybe you take off on time. Uh, there can be delays, all kinds of stuff. So if I could just, if you know, if, so it would have to be like more powerful than Nightcrawler's teleportation. Because well, if like, I wanted to go to San Diego from here, I would just like to be able to do it. It's kind of like magic's uh, teleportation. Yeah, without having to go to not the limbo. ending up in the Pacific Ocean or in, inside a building wall or something. Not have to go through hell to get there. Yeah, literally going through hell with. But magic. I could take people with me too. So like when my family and I were tra- when we're traveling, if we want to go, you know, up. Out west, we want to go to Hawaii or something. Everybody, grab so, onto me. So maybe, well, so maybe like a ten foot radius of all right. Anything within yes. that radius can go. Yes. Well, then you never have to pack anything either, because oh, I need to get this. Just teleport home, grab it. Yeah. Then you never have I, to pack. I think teleportation is a is a, a vastly overlooked superpower. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be uh, that's what I would want. Yes. All right, uh, I think that'll be it. So I'm going to end it with uh, to be continued. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Alex, for putting this together. And see you next time.